Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. All right. Isn't that a fun text? I feel like after Bree read, we could just go home and feel encouraged. Uh, <laughs> this, this text is exhibit A for why I preach through books of the Bible. Because if I didn't preach through books of the Bible, meaning if I just decided what I wanted to preach on and then I preached on it, let me tell you how many times I would preach on 2 Peter chapter 2. Never. I would, I would never talk about this verse. But it's in God's word. And God's word is what guides us as a church. And so as we come to 2 Peter, we're looking at some heavy stuff. Uh, Peter goes really hard on this one. He, he turns it up a notch. Uh, and we know from what we've learned previously in the series, Peter, the leader of the early church, is writing in some of his final moments. He's about to be crucified upside down by Nero for his faith. He didn't have time to mess around. He's telling us the way it is, and he's telling it to us very straightforward. And I really respect that. I think that's the way Jesus preached also. Jesus and I and Peter and I have very different church growth philosophies, right? Like you go to church plant school, they don't tell you to tell everybody that judgment is coming their ways and the angels are locked up in utter darkness. Like that just tends to not be a very good Easter message, amen? But Peter is here to tell us the truth. In the Bible, we see grace and we see truth. They go together. And what I want to do is hopefully today help you see judgment and hell maybe in a different way, maybe in a different light. Uh, Because I believe, and here's the the whole thing that I'm going for today, and you don't have to listen to anything else I say. This is my thesis. And I believe this to be totally true. And that is this. God doesn't reject us. We reject him. See, for a lot of us, we view heaven and hell like this. I've got this gift, which is my life, and I'm trying to live the best life I possibly can. And then I give this to God, and I'm praying that God doesn't reject it. And we have this idea of God as like, uh, I mean, back in 1987, you did this thing at student camp. I'm really at student camp. You did that. I mean, come on. Uh, And God is just waiting to reject us when in reality, the way it actually is, as the Bible presents it, is it is not God who's rejecting. It's God with the gift. It's God with the gospel saying, here is a way in which you can experience my mercy. Here is a way in which you can experience peace and no purpose and live fulfilled. Here is the gift. And we look at the gift and we go, uh. You know, I think I'd, I'd rather have something else. You know, I'd, I'd rather do things my way. I'd rather be God. I love this quote from Dallas Willard. Uh, he says this. He says, hell is not an oops or a slip. One does not miss heaven by a hair, but by constant effort to avoid and escape God. See, if, if you end up under the judgment of God, it's because you chose it. It's not because God rejected you. It's because you rejected him. And today what we're going to look at as we walk through this text in 2 Peter chapter 2 is we're going to look at some of the reasons why people choose to reject God. There are some things that if you're going to be a Christian, like those those kids and, and Darren who were baptized today, they have accepted some things about the gospel message of Jesus Christ that are hard for some people to accept. And the reason why some people deny Jesus is because they choose to not accept things that God has said comes with his gift. Like here's the gift, but here's what the gift is. And you've got to accept all of the gift, not just part of the gift. And today we're going to look at four of those things that oftentimes people have a hard time accepting when it comes to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this text. Father, you are good. You are gracious. You are glorious. God, as we come to a text like this, it is so easy for guys like me to stand up here and make you something that you're not. God, I can, in my own fear of man, make you seem to be a God of of no justice. 
And I don't want to do that. God, I can also stand up here and, and make you out to be a God who is mad all the time and angry and waiting to smite us. And Lord, I know that's not true. I know that's not true because I look at the cross of Jesus. You came not to condemn, but to save. You laid your life down for us so that we might have relationship with you. Lord, as I preach this message today, I need your help. And I pray that you'd help my listeners be able to listen and hear, maybe for some people, the very first time, the true gospel message of Jesus Christ. To understand what the gift is and what it is not that we can receive in Jesus. Lord, it's in your name that I pray. Amen. All right, so first off, I got to give you two as we jump into verse four. I got to give you two things that are true about hell that maybe you don't know uh, because it kind of goes against common uh, wisdom. In fact, a lot of our uh, depictions of hell come from a 14th century poem called uh, Dante's Inferno, uh, where this guy sat down and he's like, I don't think the Bible talks enough about hell, so I'm going to paint a picture of what it looks like. And it's very vivid. Uh, That's where we get a lot of the, the images of, you know, burning in fire forever for the rest of eternity. Uh, which I'm sure some of you guys have seen. It's kind of scary. If you grew up uh, in the church, you probably at one point in your time have been scared with this uh, image of what hell is. And in reality, Dante's Inferno is based on the Bible, but it's actually not biblical. It doesn't come directly from the word of God. And so what I want to be careful of is, especially when I preach on these things, is I just want to say what the Bible says. And I know when I say the word hell, immediately your mind has these ideas of what hell is. But let's just listen to what Peter says. Verse four, it says this. For if God didn't spare, and by the way, in this section of scripture, what Peter is doing is he's, he's saying judgment is coming and you can trust that judgment is coming because he's already done it before. So apparently there were some teachers then and there's some teachers now who say, God's not going to judge the world. There's no judgment coming your way. And Peter says, no, no, no. If he already did it then, he's going to do it in the future. It says, for if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. And here's the first thing you need to know about hell. It was not created for us. It was created for the devil and demons. See, there's a lot of people who have this picture of hell as like the devil rules over hell. I bet if I were to take a survey, how many of you think the devil rules over hell? Before this sermon, you just probably said, yes, I think the devil's down there with his pitchfork. He's got his throne. He's doing what he's supposed to do down there. He's ruling the underworld. But the Bible doesn't paint that picture. The Bible says the devil is actually here with us. He is ruling. He's the prince of this world. Hell is a place that God is eventually going to send the devil for his own punishment, as well as all the angels who have rebelled against God and who have become demons. Hell was not intended for us. So how do we end up under God's judgment? We end up under God's judgment when we take the side of the prince of this world, when we also rebel against God. And here's the sin that we commit, and here's the sin that the demons and the devil himself committed. You ready for it? The sin is we want to be God. The sin is we want to decide what is right and what is wrong. And I think when we talk about hell, this highlights it in our brain more than anything else because it won't be long before I get a question when I talk about hell is whether or not it is fair. Is this fair? Is it fair that this guy goes? Or is it fair that this? And and when we start asking that question, we've got to be careful about anything in life because when we start asking what is good and what is wrong, we are making the sin of making ourselves God. In fact, that was the very first sin. In the, in the garden, uh, when everything was perfect and then it was messed up, as a kid, I was kind of taught the reason why we had flies and stickers and you know, all the terrible things in this world, uh, like OU Sooner football, just awful. <laughs> is it too early? I'm sorry. Uh, the reason why we have all of these awful things is because Eve and Adam ate an apple. And uh, first off, it doesn't even say apple. It just says fruit. We don't know that. But the fruit's not even the point. The reason why the world was thrown into sin is because of the tree they ate from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
In other words, what they decided for themselves was, we want to decide what is fair and what is not fair. We want to decide for ourselves what is good and what is not good. And God says, no, 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 that is only reserved for me. And when we make that sin, we are making ourselves a God of our own right. And there can only be one God. He is holy, meaning he's set apart and alone. This was the the original sin of Satan and the angels that rebelled against God. And it is the sin that we choose to make. And when we choose to make this sin, we are choosing to separate ourselves from the God of this universe. And then in verses 5 through 8, I'm not going to read it all, but uh, what Peter does is is he he lays out, I believe, uh, my thesis, which is we don't reject God. Or sorry, God doesn't reject us. We reject God. He mentions some Old Testament stories. I'll just say the first one, which is Noah. Uh, We're probably familiar with the story of Noah. If you grew up in the church or in the Bible Belt at all, Noah is the story in Genesis where uh, there was a big flood that wiped out the world because of God's judgment. Noah and his family were the only ones that were saved out of that. And you can look at that and say, well, God's mean. God's judgmental. But if you look at the story in Genesis, it was literally hundreds of years before the flood came that God was saying, repent, that God was saying, get on the ark with Noah. Hundreds of years, and for hundreds of years, people rejected God. Now, we will decide what is right and what is wrong for us. They even made fun of Noah and his family as they built this ark. It wasn't God who was rejecting them. It was them who was rejecting God. Now, you can imagine their dismay when the door shut finally and the rain started coming. But by that point, it was too late. They had made their decision. The, the next story he gives is Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you read in Genesis, you'll see there too, Abraham, as he's going to Sodom and Gomorrah, he's saying, God, if there's a hundred righteous people for the sake of them, will you save the city? And God says, yes. And then it's kind of comical because Abraham keeps like bargaining with God. He keeps going down in numbers. And it's like, God, if, if I may ask you, uh, if, if, if there's 10 righteous people in the city, will you save all of the city? And God says, yes. But in other words, if there was just A couple righteous people there. God would have saved the entire city. But the whole city had chosen by their own accord to reject the God of this universe. And then just in case you're thinking that I'm I'm preaching about works and having to do a a good thing to get on God's side. Verse 7 is hilarious. If you guys were Hebrews, you would have laughed when Bree was reading it. It says this. And if he rescued righteous Lot. Righteous Lot. You read the, the, the book of Genesis and you're like, man, this thing should be rated R. Like They should not teach kids this in Sunday school. And a lot of it is because a lot. I mean, this guy is, think of like the most perverse person you know, times it by 10 and you've kind of got lot a little bit in the book of Genesis. He's awful. He's terrible in every which way that we would consider terrible. And yet Peter calls him righteous. Why? Because righteousness or right standing with God comes through faith. And Lot had faith in God at the end. Lot trusted God and God alone to be his savior out of the destruction of that city. See, Lot was the only one who accepted the gift of God. Did Lot deserve it? No. But there was a gift and Lot accepted the gift. Friends, we are the ones who reject God. He does not reject us. Now, as we go through the rest of this text, I want to look at uh, four of these ways that we reject God. Four things that we struggle to accept. And we'll start with the first one as we read in verse 10. Or verse, I'm going to start in verse 9, and then I'll read verse 10 also. It says this. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Who knows? The Lord knows. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Verse 10. Especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. This is the first thing we struggle to accept. The gospel message of Jesus is God's plan. It's whose plan? It's God's plan. It's not Blake's plan. It's not your plan. It's God's plan. 
And Jesus comes and he offers us this gospel message, but we have to live our life based upon whose plan do you think? God's plan. Not Blake's plan, God's plan. And you know who that's really hard for? Blake, because I despise authority. And in our culture, the word submission is like a bad word. You know, you say the word submit, people are already getting mad and, and they're getting angry at you and they're getting offended because we don't like the word submission. And yet what is called, we're called to do in the gospel is Jesus says, here's this gift of eternal life, but you have to submit to life my way. There's this kind of thing that we say in the Bible Belt. We say, we say weird stuff here because like we've grown up with Christianity around us. We say things that aren't even theologically correct. And one of the things I hear people say sometimes is, you know, hey, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I'm not ready to accept him as my Lord yet. And I look at people usually and I just, I go, okay. But when you read the Bible, they don't separate the two. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior because the way he saves you is by being your Lord. Like Jesus can't just be your, your, you know, your guy who saves you from hell and not your master. No, he's, he's your master over everything. And because he's your master over everything, he saves you from the judgment that you deserve. See, you, you, can, you can put your head in an oven, but it doesn't make you a biscuit. You can call yourself a Christian, but it doesn't actually make you a Christian. A Christian literally means a little Christ. Somebody who follows Jesus in all of life. Somebody who wants to be like Jesus in all of life. That I would think like Jesus thinks if he were me. I would spend my money as Jesus would spend his money if he were me. I would sexually act in the way that Jesus would want me to act if he were here right next to me. These are the things in which we are called to as a Christian. And we don't do it perfectly. Don't hear me say that. There's not a single one of us who are Christians who do this thing all the way through and through. But it's a desire in our heart. That I want, I desire to be like Jesus. And it's also this, this posture of humility. I come to something and I hear that God's word preached. And I, I think, you know what? I'm not living in the way that guy said with my money or with whatever it is. And I am willing to believe that Jesus is right. And I'm willing in faith, even if I don't know how it's all going to work out, to be able. And I'm going to try to do what Jesus has called me to do. Why? Because he's my master. He's not just my buddy. He's not just my savior. He's my Lord. He's my master. I think this is really hard for some of us. Tim Keller has this quote. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you may be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. See, if you think that God agrees with everything you agree with, he's probably not God. He's probably just your mind. See, because in Christianity, you're going to rub up against things that you don't like. The doctrine of hell itself is a thing I don't like. Can I just admit that as a pastor? You ever met a pastor who's happy about hell? Those guys are, there's something wrong with them. You know, it's like they're getting excited about talking about hell and their sweat's pouring off their faces. They're like, you're going to hell. Burn all your CDs. And it's like, geez, calm down, dude. You know, I'm not excited about this doctrine. And yet I, I believe that there's a God outside of me. And honestly, this is what gives me a lot, of, uh, a lot of faith that the gospel is truly the gospel. There's this critique that people have of Christianity. They say, uh, you know, Christianity is just for the weak people, the people who can't handle life or who are afraid of death. And so they just kind of made it up to make you feel better. Okay, I would almost believe that. Except for why in the world would you put some of the stuff in this book that's in there if you're trying to make people feel better? Does this make anybody feel better? No, but it's true. And you see, we have to start, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to accept the fact that God's reality is true reality. You don't get to debate whether it's right or wrong. It'd be kind of like if your house was on fire and you just sat in the living room and you're like, you know what? I don't like the fact that my house is on fire. So therefore, I don't believe my house is on fire. You know what's going to happen? You're going to burn (laughs) because the house is on fire. It doesn't matter whether you think it is or where you want it to be. It's just on fire. 
And when God is giving his word, it's not like he's up for debate. Like, hey, here's how you're supposed to love your wife, husbands. It's like, well, I don't really like that. So I don't know if that's true. God's like, no, that's just the way it is. Like, we don't, we don't get to debate this. It's like a, like a parent with a child. You know, you ever seen a child try to, I mean, some of you are parents. You ever had your child try to debate you and you're like, wait a minute, I made you. You know, like you're under my authority. I could take you out and make another one just like you if I want to. That's not the way this thing works. I'm in charge. The same is true with God, and we have to submit to his authority in that. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, one of our uh, founding fathers of this country, uh, is famous for making a Bible in which he cut out everything he didn't like. It's called the Jefferson Bible. You can look it up. He cut out all the miracles, all the commands he didn't like, and he had this Bible of just things he agreed with. I think a lot of us do that. We don't actually cut up a Bible because we, you know, in our culture, it's like we revere the Bible. We just don't read it. Uh, and it's like, you know, don't, don't put it on the, on the floor, but I'm never going to open the thing. And what we often do is, well, I like this part of it, but I don't like this part of it. So I'll submit to the part I like, and I won't submit to the part that I, that I don't like. And I would just say to you, to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, is to accept life on God's terms. All right, number two uh, is we have to accept God's grace. We have to accept God's grace. We have to accept life on God's terms. We have to accept God's grace. And you say, Blake, I could do that. I could accept grace. That part's easy. But see, the problem is to accept grace, you have to accept the fact that you're a sinner. You have to accept the fact that you're broken. And for a lot of us, we struggle to do that. So as we continue on, I want to skip down to verse 12 and 13. Look at what it says about these people who are under God's judgment. It says, but these people like irrational animals, creatures of instinct. In other words, they're, just, they're doing what feels right to them. And I, I know for myself, a lot of times I just, I act out of instinct. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I just, I kind of, I'm not even thoughtful about what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. Born to be caught and destroyed. Slander what they do not understand, and in their destruction, they too will be destroyed. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. They consider it a pleasure, see that word, a pleasure, to carouse in broad daylight. They are spots and blemishes delighting in their deceptions while they feast with you. See, if if you don't agree with the fact that your sin is a sin, then there's no way you can be forgiven for the sin. And some of you, you delight in your sin. Like you think, well, this isn't a bad thing. In fact, I like this thing. I love this thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with this thing. And if you tell me there's something wrong with it, I'm going to get offended. And this happens all the time, even in my own heart, right? Where it's like, I immediately get defensive when somebody comes at me with something that is clearly a sin. And my first response is not to say, oh, thank you. I'm a broken sinner. My first response is often, how dare you say this? This is why I think I'm okay. And I give you all my reasons why I think I'm okay. But to accept the gospel of Jesus is to accept fundamentally that we're broken. So to accept the grace for your sexual brokenness, you have to already agree that your sexual brokenness is broken. See, it's, it's kind of like this. Jesus comes and he lives a life we couldn't live. He dies the death we deserve to die to pay our penalty. He pays our penalty. And that's what, that's what this whole gospel is about. We can pay the penalty or he can pay it for us. See what the, Peter said? He said, they will be paid back for the harm that they have done. So Jesus comes and he takes that on his shoulders. He will pay for the harm that you have done. Or you can pay for it yourself if you don't admit that it's, that it's there. And if Jesus comes and he pays that penalty and then he rises again. But if you don't believe that sin is to be paid for, then you're not going to accept it as a gift because you don't think you need it. See, it'd be kind of like if if I came to you and I said, hey, I got this lifetime supply of rocket fuel and I want to give it to you. Uh, But you can't you can't use you can't sell it to anybody else. Like You got to keep the rocket fuel and use it for yourself. Now, unless your name is Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or some other rich billionaire who can afford a rocket, that stuff's going to be worthless to you. You're like, well, I'm supposed to do all this rocket fuel in my backyard. I don't even have a rocket, and I'm never going to have a rocket. So you'd say, thank you, sir, but no thank you. 
I don't need this gift. And in the same way, if you look at your life and you say, it's not a sinful life, I'm not broken. And Jesus comes and he says, I can heal your brokenness. You're going to say, I don't need your healing because I'm not already broken. See, for the Christians, we have to accept God's grace. Uh, Another Tim Tim Keller quote, uh, because he's a lot smarter than I am. I'm relying on quotes a lot today because this is a really hard subject and I want to make sure I'm doing it right. Tim Keller says, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. Do you accept that gospel, friends? Do you accept that Jesus came to die for your brokenness? Because if not, this gift is not for you. And it's the reason why a lot of people reject Jesus. It's the reason why if you, if you look out in the world, you see people doing things uh, that the Bible would call sin, and they're doing them happily. Why? Well, because they don't actually believe it's sin. And the gospel of Jesus is not for them. All right, number three, accept God's power for God's purposes. Accept God's power for God's purposes. Verse 15 says this. It says, they have gone astray by abandoning the straight path and have followed the path of Balaam. He's talking about an Old Testament story here. The path of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of wickedness, but received a rebuke for his lawlessness. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So in this story, uh, Balaam is on a mission for God, and yet he gets kind of caught up in the greed of everything, and he's working for worldly wealth, and uh, God's trying to get through to him. God can't get through to him. God can't get through to him. And so finally, God uh, makes his donkey talk, and the donkey talks to him and tells him to not do what he's doing. It's, it's kind of a comical story in the Old Testament if you read it. And I was researching this week, and uh, archaeologists have made an amazing uh, finding. They actually found a picture of Balaam with his donkey. Tech team, if we could put that on the screen. <laughs> Every time I read that story, I think of Eddie Murphy. Uh, <laughs> Balaam, what you doing? Okay, sorry. It's okay to laugh. We're talking about hell. We gotta, we gotta, I'm giving you jokes because you're not going to laugh later if you don't laugh now. But what we see here is, is Balaam, uh, he, he wants to do things his own way. He wants God's power, but he doesn't want it for God's purposes. And in my own life, I can see this all the time, right? And I've seen it with people all the time. Like, we, we want God's power for the things we think we want. You know, I, I come to God because I'm sick and I want to be healthy. I come to God because I'm poor and I want to be wealthy. I come to God because this part of my life is broken and I want him to fix it. I come to God because my marriage is broken and this is my last chance, and so I want him to heal my marriage. And what the gospel would say is you're going to get God's power, but it's not going to be for the things you want it to be. It doesn't work that way. Now, some of those things might happen, but the point of the power of God's power is for his kingdom and for his sake. You have to sign up for that. And a lot of times I hear people praying and their prayers are all about them. Like, here's a good test if you you believe this or not. If all your prayers were answered, would you be the only person who benefited? Or here, we can take a step further. If all your prayers were answered, would anybody else be beneficial from it? Or would it all be about you? And see, for a lot of us, we pray these prayers of, God, I need help. Like, you know, some of us, we only pray when we're on an airplane and we hit turbulence. Oh, God, save me, you know? Uh, or, you know, I was thinking, uh, Taylor and I, we ate at P.F. Chang's this one time. Oh, P.F. Chang's is awesome. 
uh, let me some Chinese food. We're at PF Chang's, and uh, Taylor wanted to share. She always wants to share. I don't know. Women love sharing food. Uh, and it's like, no, nah, I'd just rather have my own food, you know? Uh, I'll pay extra so you can waste food if I can have my own food. That's just how I feel uh, about sharing. And <laughs> you guys are my therapist. I just get it out. But this is when we were still dating, and so, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, sharing. That'd be cute. And... Uh, we were, uh, we're sharing this, this, this rice, the steamed rice, and Taylor said, I think we can just get one and share it. And I was like, I don't think so. Uh, but I said, yeah, it'd be great. So we share this one deal of rice, and, and the rice comes out, and it's this tiny cup. I mean, there's just nothing there. And uh, so we both started laughing. And then we were praying over our meal, and I prayed, and I was just being, I'd being funny. And I said, Lord Jesus, please multiply this rice. <laughs> I kid you not. We open our eyes. There's two pieces of two rice bowls there. I think the waiter heard me praying this prayer, and he's, I'm going to mess with this guy. We had two deals of rice after. And I think a lot of us, that's how we think prayer works, right? Like God's a vending machine. God, give me what I want. I want to use your power for what I need. I need no deal of rice, God. And God says, no, it's not how it works. My power for my purposes. See, can you submit to that, friends? Because... To be honest with you, being a Christian doesn't guarantee that you won't die poor. In fact, Jesus died really poor. Doesn't mean that you'll die healthy because Jesus died at 33 years old way before he was supposed to. It doesn't mean anything that this world counts as valuable will happen to you. But what will happen is you will get eternal value through what Jesus Christ has done for us. All right, here's the final one. Number four, we have to accept God's presence as the greatest gift. So when we look at the gift that Jesus gives us in the gospel of, of, of his kingdom. The greatest thing about it is not that I get to live forever. The greatest thing about it is not that I get to go to heaven. The greatest thing about it is that I get the presence of God in my life. The greatest thing about it is Jesus himself. See, I get, I get a little bit frightened when I hear people talking about their loved ones and they talk about you know, their loved ones who have died and they mention all the things they think their loved one is doing. And he's up there fishing or he, you know, he's up there listening to his favorite music or he's up there doing whatever he's doing. And they never get to the point where they mention he's up there enjoying the presence of Jesus because that's what it's all about. Like to be a Christian means Jesus is your greatest treasure. Jesus, I would give everything else away as long as I have you. There's a story that Jesus tells a parable in the Gospels about a guy who has found a treasure buried and he sells everything he has. He gives everything away so that he can have that treasure. This is what the Gospel is. I'm willing to give all of it away as long as I have the presence of Jesus. And you see what a lot of people do and the reason why they don't make it is because they want Jesus to be a part of their life but they don't want him to be the point of their life. You know, I want Jesus here as long as he's helping me, but I'm not really committed to everything being reoriented around Jesus. And we see that as we, we read in, in verse 21 through the end, sorry, verse uh, 20 through the end. It says, For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated. The last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. Verse 22, it has happened to them according to a true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. But in other words, if you don't have a change at the nature of your being, if you don't have a change at your desire level, then eventually you're going to go back to your old ways of doing things. See, he, he talks about a pig and he says, you know, you can, you can put a pig 
uh, you know, put a tutu on a pig, you can clean the pig up, you can put lipstick on the pig. But you know what a pig's going to do as soon as they see mud? They're going to run straight to the mud. And I really resonated with the dog illustration because <laughs> I have a dog and uh, I love her. Sometimes I forget she's a dog. I love her way too much. You can judge me if you want. Uh, treat her like a human. You know, I'm a big Dave Ramsey guy, never going to debt. He says never going to debt for your pets especially. I would totally disregard Dave Ramsey if my dog needed $12,000 surgery. But that's how much I love my dog. I can sense your judgment, okay? Just polish your halos. That's fine. I love my dog. She's my daughter. But sometimes I'm reminded of her dogness. I'm reminded that at her nature, she is a dog. For instance, this past week, we went and we took her and we got her groomed up, got her smelling good, got her, got her fluffy. Uh, she smelled good. She had, you know, had one of those bandanas on. She looked real pretty. Uh, and then we take our dog home after paying the money for this. We let her out the potty. What's the first thing the dog does? She goes, finds cat poop and rolls around in it. <laughs> Why? Because she's a dog. That's what dogs do. And in the same way, if you don't have a change at the nature, you're going to continue to do the things you've always done. You have to have a change at the desire level. And Molly, if you want to go ahead and come up as we close, uh, I can remember as a kid this really hitting me, uh, realizing that I didn't love Jesus the same way that my friend did, my friend Reed. Uh, I was uh, seven or eight years old. We were having communion service uh, at church and uh, at the church right down the street, actually, First Baptist Wood. We're having communion. And uh, it was the service where the pastor kind of set it up and then we took communion. And then we had this moment where we were supposed to pray for the rest of the service. They just had, you know, how they do with the piano in the background. Nice, beautiful, makes everything sound more spiritual. That's why I invite him up. So you guys will think I'm talking really spiritual as he strums the guitar. They had one of these things going on and they said, you're supposed to you know, just pray, enjoy the presence of God. And we took communion and, and I was praying and uh, I ran out of things to pray in like five minutes. You know, it's like. I've prayed for every nation I know of. I have nothing else to pray. And uh, I can remember kind of peeking my eye open and looking at my friend Reed uh, because I was like, man, we got to get out of here. He's got to be bored too. So I was going to say, hey, you want to you run over to the fellowship hall or something and get out of here? And I, as I opened my eye to look at Reed, I noticed that he was, he was crying, like physical tears coming down his face. And I was like, man, what happened? You know, he get in trouble here. He already tried to leave or something. And I said, Reed, what's wrong? He said, nothing's wrong. He said, I just can't believe Jesus would do this for me. Pierced my soul. Even as a little boy, because I realized at that time that I did not love Jesus the same way he did. That what I called the love for Jesus was not the same as what he called the love for Jesus. Friends, as we talk about the judgment of God, as we talk about these things that are really hard, the, the real question is not, is God going to reject me? The real question is, are you going to reject God? Do you love Jesus that way? Have you made him the center of your life? Do you accept life on God's terms? Do you accept you're a sinner who needs his grace? Because if you do, he welcomes you with open arms. In fact, he loved you so much that he came and he gave his very life so that you might know him. If you would right now, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm just going to give us some space. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? And I just want you to listen to whatever God might be telling you in this moment. Father, above all, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you that you love me so much that you would come and shed your blood for my sake. 
that you'd send me your Holy Spirit so that I could have power to live a godly life for your purposes. And Lord, that you promise that you're coming back. And when you come back, there'll be nothing but the presence of God. Lord Jesus, that you will be with me at all times. That I can be with my greatest treasure, and that is Jesus. Lord, I can't wait until that day when death itself dies, when there is no more sickness, no more sin, and no more pain. There's nothing but your presence. Jesus, I love you and I praise you. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing to this God. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.